Hey, can I share a Mother's Day story real quick? Guys, Mother's Day is a great Sunday, okay? And if you know me, you know that I am nothing if not a mama's boy, okay? Um, it's just true. It's just true. Uh, my dad always says, like, why don't you call me? Well, because I called mom. Like, I don't need to call you. She'll tell you. Um, and, and in fact, like, if, if anybody knows that, it's my wife. Because she always says, like, man, if you could be with your mom or me, you'd probably go live with your mom. And I'm not saying that's not true. But all I'm saying is that when I was in college, um, I was in college. And my dad said, hey, uh, we, were, we were out to dinner one night, me and my parents. And I really wanted to go to, uh, they, they were the Redskins at that point. Um, I, I really wanted to go to a game. And so my dad was like, well, you know what? Like, I don't even know what spurred this on. He was like, I'll buy you tickets. So he bought two tickets. You know what I took? My mom. <laughs> I did. We were like, where you want to sit? I was like, there's no one else I would rather take. So me and my mom went. Um, I don't have any photos, but she reminds me every time they pop up on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> me and her uh, actually took a, a dope buck, to, uh, dope, dope buck, duck boat, not a dope buck, <laughs> but a duck boat tour through D.C. And we had these like plastic bills that you, it was... And the Pope was coming the next week, and so D.C. was like crazy, even more crazy than it normally is. And so she always reminds me uh, that that's my boy because she has a photo of me ready to get on this duck boat tour in D.C. And so I just got to say I love my, uh, Mother's Day because I love my mom. And I hope you love your mom, and you should do something special. Um, and maybe we'll take another trip to D.C. now that Dan Snyder's out and they're selling the team. So I don't know. That's just a side note. Hey, last week, what did we see? Last week, we saw in the book of Colossians, where we've been for a while now, to put on certain aspects of the Spirit. We saw time and time again to put on things like gentleness and kindness and compassion and humility and things that we said, man, I don't know if that actually fits my life. And we saw those backed up against what Paul said the week before that, where what did he say? Not to put on, but put to death where he said the things that are still entangling your soul, the sins of the flesh, what you need to do is not modify your life so that they get better, but you need to mortify them. We use this picture of if there was a snake in your garden, what are you gonna do? You're gonna cut the head off with a shovel. That's what Paul is saying to do with your sin. You don't modify it, you mortify it, you cut the head off. And what we saw in both mortifying the flesh and putting on these things in the spirit that they were both communal commands. That what we saw was the sins that you and I are to put to death. Paul uh, just brought out uh, uh, just a handful. And number one, we, we said it like this, uh, no sexual immorality. Like, keep your pants on. That would solve a lot. And watch your mouth. Paul says, put to death those things. And both of those things deal with other people. And then in the same light, as he says, put on these things, gentleness, compassion, kindness, humility. Don't be about these things, but be about these things. Those also have to deal with other people. He said there is love. There is the unity of love that you have as you bear with one another. It was just the expectation that you, as a Jesus follower, were in community. Paul is not writing the book of Colossians to just one person. He's writing it to a church, and to the church he says these things. And so as we continue with these communal commands, what we are going to see today is that time and time again, we have seen the supremacy of King Jesus, 
in all aspects of life and in all relationships. And today, the relationships that we're going to talk about are very specific and very intimate. The relationships that Paul's going to talk about today are the closest relationships that you and I have. The communal commands continue with communal relationships because relationships matter. I hope you believe that today, that your closest relationships today matter. And so what we're going to see is husbands and wives, children and parents, and then slaves and masters. And what we have here is what the ancient Near East would call a household code. And so what we're about to read in Colossians 3, and you can begin turning there, it'll be on the screen, but I'm going to set it up a little bit before we get there, but Colossians 3 is where we're at. And what we're going to see is a social code, if you will, a social construct of how the family and the closest relationships are to operate. Husbands and wives, children and parents, and then servants and masters who were servants were in the household. What we are going to see is a social code or a normal thing that not all Christians would know, but everybody would know. Think about it like this. The golden rule. What's the golden rule? Treat others as you would like to be treated. Now, is that a Christian thing? Yeah, but not really. I mean, you don't have to be Christian to believe the golden rule. In every public school, there's probably a poster that says treat others as you would want to be treated. That's kind of what we're getting here in Colossians 3. We're kind of getting this, okay, you're married, you have kids. Um, in this time, you had servants. And so this is how you are to treat one another. So Paul was familiar with these things. But what he's going to do is give this instruction in a different light. Notice what he says first in Colossians 3.11. This is the springboard in which he will write this. Colossians 3.11 says this, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Do you recognize here that Paul's springboard for household codes is going to be completely different than cultures? To write a code is normal, but to springboard off of this idea that the relationships that you have and the way that you run your household or the way that you operate within your household actually springboards from this, there is no more you or I, but Christ in all is completely different. And what he is saying is that if Christ is your life, and he has already told the Colossian church what? When Christ appears a second time, when Christ appears a second time and he appears, he is your life. That's why he writes things like Christ is in all. It's no longer slave or free or Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian. It is now everybody is unified within Christ. And so he's saying if that is true, then here's the springboard in which you must operate. Husbands, it matters how you treat your wife and kids. Wives, it matters how you treat your husband. Parents, it matters how you treat your kids. Kids, it matters how you treat your parents. Servants, it matters how you treat your masters. Masters, it matters how you treat your servants. That's what we are going to see. And while it was a normal thing that you would hear, his springboard is completely different. That's why in most of Paul's letters, you see the same thing. If you flip through Paul's letters, you're probably going to get to a section where it talks about what? Husbands and wives, parents and children. I mean, we went through Ephesians, right? We had that Relationships Restored series in the beginning of the year, and we saw that in Ephesians. Paul is writing to each specific church a specific household code so that he knows it's not enough that you just keep your servant in the house or that you just feed your kids. That's not enough. 
Because Christ is all, you go above and beyond. And that's what we're going to see here. He's going to write it to every single church because these relationships matter. I'm going to say that over and over and over and over again. The relationships that you have, the most intimate relationships in your life, matter. And to each context, he wants them to know. It's no longer this or that. It's Christ who is unified. It's Christ in all. This is how in 315 he can say, let the peace of Christ rule you in one body. There is a spiritual unity that is beautiful within the gospel. That we, if we are Jesus followers, are the new humanity in Christ. And you and I are no longer strangers to one another, but have a spiritual bond that makes us one. Only Christianity offers that. Maybe that and CrossFit, because those people are just like all about one another, right? But... It's a different sermon. <laughs> Only Christianity says you and I are one. That your struggles are my struggles. Your joys, my joys. So today, I even ask you on Mother's Day, if there's someone who's struggling that you know, hey, it's your struggle too. And if there's someone that's joyous today, hey, it's your joy as well. And Paul's going to offer that, that it's Christ in all. There's no longer many, but there is one. The barriers that once separated us no longer exist because of Christ in the gospel. However, however, we should not take that verse and we are not going to take the roles that we read today as if Paul is going to interpret and ignore that there aren't many different ethnicities and there are two genders. For, Christ, for, for Paul to say that it is no longer slave, nor free, nor Jew, nor uh, Greek, nor barbarian, nor Scythian, he is not ignoring that there are different ethnicities. He is not ignoring the fact that heaven is full of different ethnicities. Who's around the, the throne right now? Tribes, not tribe. If you don't like people who don't look like you right now, you're going to hate heaven. And so there is no distinction here. Paul is not ignoring that. What he is talking about is a spiritual unity while there are practical differences. All cultures have something to bring to the table. That's why we need many different churches. That's why we need many different pastors who don't look like me, don't talk like me, don't act like me. We need more churches in Kernersville, more churches in the Triad, more churches in the Carolinas, and more churches in this world to reach more people because all cultures have something to bring to the table that should be celebrated. And then Paul's not going to ignore the fact there's not two genders, and there is only two genders. He's not going to ignore that. He's not going to say there's no longer male nor female, as he says in Ephesians. Now, you can interpret that as like, oh, okay, there's, there's no gender. No, there is. And he's going to speak and he's going to command each specific gender, man and woman, how to act within the household codes. We could say it like this as we jump into a Colossians 3, and we are going to jump into Colossians 3. That beauty is found in oneness, not sameness. There is beauty in oneness, not sameness. We should all not be the same. You have something to bring to the table that I cannot bring to the table. Beauty is in oneness, and that's what Paul's saying. You are one giant family, no matter your ethnicity, socioeconomic status, race, or gender. If you were in Christ, it is Christ in all, but don't ignore the fact that we all bring something different to the table. That's what he's saying. Barriers are ugly. Diversity is beautiful. 
And so with that in mind, we're going to jump into Colossians 3. And I'm going to read uh, just a few verses today, but we're going to read it in its entirety and then break it down. Um, I do apologize if you have a Mother's Day lunch. I'm sure some of you do. We're going to go over a little bit because there's a lot to teach, and there's a lot to to actually teach. Um, As we read this, you're probably going to be like, oh, it makes sense. Here we go, Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. Who planned this sermon series? But here we are. Um, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. And then verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. And then chapter 4, verse 1, we have to include it. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. This is not a passage that we just want to skim over. This is probably a passage that if you read this on the surface and you've never read this before, you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is so not our culture. To, like, 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 what is happening? So we're going to take some time and we're going to dissect it piece by piece, starting with where Paul starts, verse 18 and 19. It's going to stay on the screen the entire time I speak. As he gets to wives and husbands speaking first to wives. And what does he say? Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as fitting to the Lord. Any normal ancient Near Eastern household code would say, yep, perfect, got it. Wives equal submission. Perfect, we got it, move on, Paul. But notice he doesn't stop there. In 2023, this idea of submission may make you uncomfortable. It's the elephant in the room as we read this passage. What does that mean for the wife to submit to the husband? It may make you uncomfortable and potentially angry. And there's two reasons that I think, and we have to cover this. Anytime we talk about marriage in scripture, we have to cover this because I think there's two main reasons that submission may make you uncomfortable as we read this passage. Number one, because in our culture today in 2023, we have this message of what? You do you. So it's not that we don't, it's, it's, it's not women submitting to men, it's you don't submit to anybody. Marriage is slavery. Whether you're a man or a woman, you do you. We live in this world today where you are an autonomous being. You're not created for a purpose. You're created for whatever you feel like that day. And you do you. And so this idea of submission is weird. Because if I submit, that means that someone's over me in whatever fashion you desire. And in our culture today, that's not cool. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. America. The second thing The second reason this may make you uncomfortable is because submission has been used wrongly and we see abuse in submission. We have seen abuse sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have these phrases like church hurt where men and women have used their spiritual authority to abuse those who sit in the chairs. We have folks with stories of sexual and emotional abuse from the time that they were a child. And let me just be clear, submission never looks like abuse. Biblical submission never looks like abuse. The Bible is clear. 
especially when it gets to, to women, because that's, that's who's, he's commanding submit here. The Bible is clear. Women have purpose, women have dignity, and women are equal. And this verse speaks to that. Wives, as you read this verse, why is there submission? Notice it's not because you're a woman, but because it's fitting to the Lord. What Paul is doing here, if we just study it for a second, is radical. Paul is actually dignifying women. And he's saying that you, as a wife, have a role to play, a role of equality, a role of importance, and a role that reflects your relationship, not with your husband, but your relationship with the Lord. It's not news to wives that they should be submissive to their husbands. All wives reading this letter, even in the Colossian church, if Paul would have just stopped there, would have been like, yep, that's the culture they lived in. A woman's testimony didn't even count in court. So if they would have just heard, submit to your husbands, they would have been like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's, that's cultural. But he takes it a step further. This was the norm, submit, but it was not normal. It was not normal to submit for this reason. You see, you, if you are a wife in here today, your submission comes from the truth that you are an image bearer, and so you don't need to be fearful any longer of do you matter. You do matter. You are vital. You are important. You are equal. This submission idea here is not that you are lesser. It is a function. Was Jesus ever submissive? Yes, he was submissive to the Father, right? Not my will, but your will be done. And let me ask you this. In his submission, was Jesus less than? No. He is the highest being there is. He is God Almighty. Yet, within the function of Jesus, God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit, there is what? Holy submission to one another. Jesus wasn't weak when he submitted. It was a function that is right, that is holy, that is good. And so in the same way, Paul is saying, as you submit as a wife, you are not submitting because you are a woman. In fact, don't submit just because you're a woman. You submit because you belong to Christ, not your husband. And not only, not only do you submit because you are in the Lord, but the second thing that Paul says after this, women would have been like, oh gosh, really? What does he say? that their submission is balanced by the love of a husband, even a husband with self-sacrifice. 319, what does he say to the husband? It's important that Paul says this first to the wife, and then he says this to the husband. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. You see, it was normal for wives to submit. It was not normal to receive the command that husbands are to love their wives like this. And for a wife who was in the Colossian church hearing this, like submit to your husband because it's fitting to the Lord. It is a role that is holy and good and within his design. You are to submit. They might say, oh my gosh, that is so radical. And then they would hear, husbands, you best be loving your wife. That their submission is balanced and comes up against a husband doing his duty as a husband. Husbands, love your wives. This word love here you would expect would be erao, which is where we get our word erotic. And any husband in the Colossian church would be like, yeah, love our wives? Perfect, I do that. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. The word that Paul uses here is the same word that he uses in verse 12 of chapter 3 as he says that you are the dearly loved child of God. It's the only other time he uses this word in Colossians. The word here is agape love. He's not telling the husbands, 
keep the, 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 the marriage going in the bedroom. <laughs> what he's saying to the husbands is you better be so close to Jesus that you are showing your wife who Jesus is in the way that you love, serve, and sacrifice for her. It's not the erotic love here. It is the agape love. And so for a wife to hear this and say that the love that you have for your wife is the same love that God has for you, it begins to make sense, and it's radical within this culture. Like I said in the beginning, these household codes are throughout the New Testament. So if we were to go to, to say Ephesians, what we would read is husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, cleansing her and making her holy by the washing of the word to present her holy and blameless. That's what Ephesians says. And so husbands, let me ask you, and Adam, let me ask you, how does Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. Husband, because Christ is all, you love. You sacrifice. You go first. And then I love the wording that Paul says, you're not bitter towards them. The word here is literally like embitter, like sour wine. Like, husbands, you feel like your wife doesn't respect you. Or are you a jerk? And that's like the, you know, sanctification. Like, that's not the word that came to mind. But are, are you a jerk? Like, <laughs> come on now. Paul is saying, you love like this. And wives, don't raise your hand, but imagine, and especially, oh gosh, Emily, don't call me out here. Uh, wives, raise your hand if, 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 man, what would your life look like if your husband went first and self-sacrificed for you and, and loved you like Christ loved the church? Like, would that be a man worth following? Would that be a man worth submitting to? Would that be a man worth respecting? I think we would all say yes. See, we don't have a problem with submission. Think back to your favorite coach or teacher. They were over you, but why are they your favorite? Because they loved you. They saw you. They called something out in you, right? We don't have a problem with submission. It's just when our leaders stink, then it's like, how do I do this? And so that's why he mirrors this. Wives, it's not just that you submit because you're a woman. You submit because you were in the Lord and your identity is in him, not your husband. But if you're married, husband, you go first. You love first and not just on Mother's Day. Requiring a wife to submit was not new. Requiring a husband to love was. Husband, your basis of leadership is not because you are better or more important. It is a God-given responsibility that you have to love through sacrifice and giving. That is what he's saying to husbands and wives. But then he moves through this and what does he get to next? Paul moves to children in the home, and I love this. Verse 20, let's read it. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Colossians 3.20, the fact that this command is here means a few things for us. I love that it's here, because for Paul to write this letter and instruct children means that children weren't just an add-on, they were members of the church. This is a letter that would have been read aloud. And Paul does not say, parents, tell your children to obey. It's as if I was reading this and I said, children, obey your parents as if they were in here now. Why would Paul include this unless children were there to be hearing this? Parents, let me just say this super, like just, this is clear. I can't overstate this enough. Children in here, in the auditorium, moving or talking, does not bother us. Like, let me just make that super clear. 
If your child is in here and they are making noise, they are moving around, they are not whispering, it ain't bothering anybody. It ain't bothering me. It ain't bothering this church. And if you want your child in here, bring them in here. It's just what it was. We should hear movement. We should hear laughing. We should hear not whispering. And so many times I look out as kids are in here and parents are like, shh. And I, I get it. I, I respect that. Now that I have a four-month-old and, and she's sometimes in here and she starts crying, I'm like, oh, gosh, is, are people hearing her? Like, should Emily take her out? I get it as a parent. But I just want you to know from here, like, nah, they're, they're in here. They're, they're part of this church. So if you want them in here, great. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a great kids ministry. And if you'd rather your child be back there, then go back there where they're going to learn about the Lord. But children should be in the house of the Lord wherever they're at. And so Paul is saying children because they're there. I guess they, you know, maybe they had the same struggle we did with children's workers. Um, so kids were, <laughs> next step Sunday, showing up. Who's going to the kids? <laughs> he says, children, obey your parents. Why? For it is pleasing to the Lord. Notice what he just did. He could have just said, children, obey your parents. And all the parents would be like, yeah, that's right. But what does he say? He says, obey, because it pleases the Lord. Paul is dignifying children here. He's saying, you as well, child. And we know that he's speaking to children because they're still in the house. So younger children. Now, maybe you have some tall younger children. But what he's saying is those who are in the house, they are called to obey. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. It's not just for the respect of their parents. It's because they themselves are created by our God. Children have a responsibility because it honors the Lord. Parents, your kids aren't yours, first and foremost. They belong to the Lord. And sure, we want them to obey us, but not for our sake. For their sake and their relationship with the Lord. And then in verse 21, as Paul turns back, what he says is fathers, but really the word here is fathers and mothers because he tells the children not to obey their father, but obey who? Their parents. So even though the scripture right here says father, it could be translated as father or mother. And so he's not just speaking to the fathers. See, even though we know, fathers, you lead your home. But what he's gonna say in verse 21, fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Parents, watch yourself here. Once again, this authority does not come with an excuse of heavy-handedness. Children being obedient to you is not an excuse for you to act however you want towards them. Also, just side note, notice the difference here that wives aren't told to obey but submit because there's a difference here. It's not do whatever you say because your husband tells you to like kids are. At some point, kids grow out of obedience, right? They don't have to do anything you say. So there's a difference here. I hope you notice that. It's not wives obey, it's wives submit. But anyways, but back to kids. You do not own them. You are responsible for them. And so this command here is it says, do not exacerbate your kids so that they do not become discouraged. Really could be translated as do not embitter them just like the wife's command. Parents, do you put your kids in no-win situations? I mean, let's just be honest, a no-win situation. Are you and your spouse on the same page? Or do we live in a household where it's like, well, I said this, but then your kid's gonna go ask mom or dad and it's gonna be way different. It's a no-win situation for the child. Parents, are you, are you on the same page? Because that does wonders for your child to see a unified team. Parents, is discipline swift and appropriate? 
Or is this something you drag out because they're under your control? Discipline is appropriate. Discipline is biblical. And if you're like, yeah, we don't believe in spanking. We know. We watch them. So, like, we, we see it. But... <laughs> But do you drag out discipline? Or is it swift and appropriate? Do you tell them that they are good enough? Honestly, it kind of terrifies me as a dad. Like, in our culture today, will I be more concerned with looking at my phone than looking at my daughter? Especially in ministry, we hear this all the time, like, will I sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry? Like, will, the, will your family become more important than my family? I mean, that's, that's just the reality we live in. It kind of scares me. And this matters. It matters how we treat our kids. That as they obey you, Paul can turn to parents and say, like, look, don't put them in no-win situations. Yeah, you're not going to get it right all the time. Of course not. But don't discourage them. Encourage them. And here's the good news. You can do this through the Spirit of God. Because so many times when we talk about parenting, our minds go directly to how our parents treated us. And you may think there is a generational curse within your family. And I don't care how your parents treated you. Just hear me out. You can treat your kids differently. Maybe you didn't have the best father. You didn't have the best mother. That doesn't mean that you can't be a good mom or dad to your kids. Through the spirit of God, the family baggage that all of us bring in, right? Because our parents weren't perfect, and their parents weren't perfect, and their parents weren't perfect. And now as a parent, I won't be perfect. I've already seen that. All the baggage and a seemingly a family curse, you can be different. Do you realize that the way you honor and love and serve your kids could change the course of your family for generations to come. Like generations. By you teaching your kids the word of God and by you teaching them who Jesus is and by you affirming them because they will look for affirmation and they'll either get it from you or this world and you don't want them to get it from this world. You can break a generational chain of disobedience and change the next generations to come. I think that's why Paul throws this in here. Children, be in the house of the Lord for your relationship with the Lord because the Lord loves you, the Lord knows you, and your relationship with the Lord is different than your parents' relationship. But parents, while they are under your authority, this is how you treat them so that when they grow up and they have kids, how are they treating their kids? And how are those kids treating their kids? And you see this generational thing, but he starts with what? Husbands and wives. That's what kids need to see. Husbands and wives that love one another, that self-sacrifice for one another, that know their roles and know that they are equally important. And then, as we end today, Paul spends a majority of the relational command in the direction of slaves and servants within the household, which is where it's like, okay, what does this have to do with 2023? And we are ending with this, but like I said, we have to give it its time that it's due to understand what Paul is actually saying here. Okay, so let's reread it. Verse 22 through 4.1. 
Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. And if you hear me say servants, the, the, the word here is interchangeable. We're going to get to the seriousness of the word, but, but slaves, servants, it's, it's interchangeable. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't only work while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive your award of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. And then verse 1 in chapter 4, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. few things to be aware of as we walk through this passage. Number one, slavery, which is the owning of a person, is always wrong. Slavery is always wrong, and God abhors it. That's the first thing. Number two, we need to know slavery is not new. Whether it's the Israelites coming out of Egypt, or it's 19th century America, or it's 2023 where there is an estimated 40.3 million modern-day slaves today in human trafficking, in workshops all around the world, There are organizations like the End It Movement or A21 that are working to end modern-day slavery. I don't know if you knew that or not, but slavery did not end in the 19th century. It looks different today. It looks sophisticated, but it's still happening. Young boys and girls are taken every day in our own backyard, in our own backyard. I have a friend who works in Charlotte, and she serves at an organization that helps rehabilitate young women that have been trafficked. That's in Charlotte. Still happens. And it's not new, and it's always wrong. May take different forms, but it's not new. And in the context of the church in Colossians, slaves were a part of the normal household, and Paul must have expected them to be in the church gathering. He doesn't tell the people just to treat their slaves fairly. (laughs) He tells the slaves that must have been there to hear. Most slaves during this time were victims of war. Most slavery in the ancient Near East, especially in this church, um, was probably not racial, as, as we, a lot of times we think of, right, 19th century America. Um, but it, it was more socioeconomic. It was political. Um, and, and a lot of times they were victims of war, and, and they, they had a debt that they had to pay off. Um, and so they would become servants. But honestly, what it does for us as we read this verse is it raises concerns because on the surface, it seems as if Paul is defending the institution of slavery. Like, how can we say slavery is always wrong, but yet Paul doesn't just write, hey, master, set your slaves free. I mean, why would he not write, Christ has freed us all, so therefore God hates slavery, and if you have slaves in your house, Colossians church, you are to set them free. Why didn't he just write that? Because it seems that he's contradicting himself. Because 311, what did he just tell us? There's no no longer slave nor free. And here it's like, well, yeah, there is. And I bet some servants raised their hand and was like, what do do you mean there's no longer slave nor free? There is a clear distinction between me and my master. So what's going on here? Well, no doubt Paul had his personal uh, friend who, who was a slave in his mind. You see, if we were to study as a church the book of Philemon, what we would receive here is a letter to a slave master, Philemon, who was a believer, concerning one of his servants that had run away, Onesimus. 
Now, what has happened is Paul has come into contact with Onesimus, and what Paul has done is sent him back to Philemon with a letter that says what? Set him free. In fact, Paul's going to tell Philemon, who owns this slave, that we are all in Christ, and if he owes you anything, put it on my account. That as I am sending him back to you, you are to receive him not as a servant, but as a brother. Paul's stance in slavery is clear throughout the New Testament. So no doubt, he has that on his mind. Paul is not condoning slavery, nor is he contradicting himself. Rather, I think what is happening in the book of Colossians is he is understanding where the culture is at this moment and knows that there is a better use of this letter to remind slaves of their heavenly realities and to remind masters of their earthly responsibility than to simply write, let all the slaves go, which would not happen. For Paul to write, let the slaves go, would not happen. And at this point in the letter, there is a chance that the letter gets crumbled completely. And so what I think is going on here is Paul is going to write to the servants of the church, because they should be there, and remind them of their heavenly realities, while also writing to the slave masters and let them know of their earthly responsibility. And to the servant, the heavenly reality that we see here is that obedience to human masters reveals a greater institution than that of slavery. What Paul is telling the servants in this church is what? By you obeying and not just working when they're watching you, you are revealing your allegiance to a greater institution and an institution that does not hold you down but frees you. That's what it reveals. In doing so, you, servant, slave, You, just like the wife, just like the husband, and just like the child, you have a personal relationship with the Lord. And if you are in the Lord, then Christ is all, and you work to honor him. He gives them this heavenly reality, because what does he say to the slave? You have a master in heaven, and one day you will receive your inheritance. So he gives the servant the heavenly reality. But then the second reality that he gives the servant and the masters is what? Masters, you have an earthly responsibility. And if you do not responsibly honor and love your servants here, then you have a punishment coming for you. Paul's super clear here. Justice will be the ultimate reality of all believers. God is a God of justice. Owning a person is always wrong. Always And one day, all wrongs will be made right, all broken things will be made whole, and nobody will own anybody. That will be the reality of heaven. But right now, Paul is writing to a very real cultural reality of Colossians and saying, servants, you work like this, but then masters, you work like this. Paul reminds them that they have a responsibility to honor their servant because they too have a master. What did Paul just say? You're not the ultimate authority. You know that. And if you notice the flow of this passage, you'll notice that in all three categories, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, Paul first looks at those who could have used authority wrongly and used it against them. If you'll notice, who does he start with in all three categories? Those who could be culturally viewed as lesser than. 
He starts with wives, and then he gets to husbands. He starts with children, and then he gets to parents. And he starts with slaves, and then he gets to masters. He gives these commands like this, and I think this is why he's writing in such a way. And so if you're writing notes, take this down. I think we would tell all of them is that your relational situation doesn't determine your worth. Your identity in Jesus determines your worth. To the wife who is living in a household, and her husband is the furthest thing away from agape, self-sacrificing love. I think the Spirit, through Paul, is reminding them, you first have an identity, and you are the image of Christ. That marriage does not determine your worth. He does. To parents and children, to children first, children. You may right now be living in a situation in which your parents are pushing their thumb of authority over you, where they are treating you less than, where they are not telling you we're good enough. And he's still saying, children, obey your parents for this is right. What is he saying? Your identity does not come from your parents. Even though they're speaking something over you that could be right or wrong, your ultimate reality, your ultimate inheritance, your ultimate image, your ultimate worth and identity comes from Jesus. And then to the servants, Paul has to be thinking of Onesimus and the horrors of slavery. And he's saying, but as you work, know that you have a master in heaven, that your worth comes from him, not who is over you right now. Your relational situation doesn't determine your worth. Your identity in Jesus determines your worth. And think about it like this. Relationships become so dangerous if the only fruit we take from relationships is what we can receive from it. If the only thing you are concerned about, whether it's your marriage, your parenthood, I don't know if any of you have servants in your house, but within this context, if the only thing you are concerned about within these relationships is what you can take from it, the relationship will suffer. When your marriage is your worth and identity, that's why it sucks so much when things are on the rocks. When that's your identity, when that's who you are, when it's not giving to you what you think it should, and maybe it's not, let's just be honest. Sometimes marriage does, we have, stinks. It stinks sometimes. But it's a whole lot worse when you're like, this is what I'm taking from it, and it's not giving me that. So maybe the grass is greener over there. What about when your kid goes off and makes choices, and you know that they know better? We're not in that stage yet of parenting. Jane does whatever we say, perfect obedience. <laughs> it's not that it doesn't hurt when your kids make these decisions. But if your parenting is your worth and identity, it's going to hurt a whole lot more. Tell this to me in a couple years. Your kids, your kids are not a reflection of your worth and identity. I don't care how good they are in school, on the sports team. Like, you, you, you do realize that you're raising Jesus worshipers, not professional ball players and A-plus student. I mean, I, I was an A-plus student, but that's just my parents got lucky. Um, <laughs> like, your identity is not in them. And it's okay to, like, encourage ball and extracurricular activities and good grades. You should. 
But first and foremost, you are raising worshipers. You are raising disciples. And so when they're acting a fool, don't put it all on you. You might need to change some things. But you are still raising disciples even when they are just terrible. And like I said, remind me that in a couple years where my kid's the worst one in the church. Um, Are your identities wrapped up in human relationships? Simply put, are they wrapped up in human relationships? Are they wrapped up in what you wish you could have? Instead of focusing on what you do. We said this, right? Relationships matter, and they do. They're so important. And you do receive great things from different relationships. Spouses, I hope you receive something from your spouse. Parents, I hope you receive something from your kids. I hope kids receive something from you. These relationships matter immensely, but not for your identity and not for your worth. Paul keeps saying that. Relationships matter, but they matter for this. This is the last thing we'll say, and then I'll be quiet. Write this down. Relationships matter not for what they can give you, but what they can produce in you. Relationships matter not for what they can give you, but what they can produce in you. Last week, what did we hear? Put on kindness, compassion, gentleness, humility. You know where we flex these muscles? In our most intimate relationships. It is so easy to flex the muscle of gentleness here. But Monday through Saturday, where it really, really matters what Paul is saying, is it still happening? Relationships matter. Not for what they can give you, but what they produce in you. For the wife, child, and slave, their command comes directly from their status in the Lord, nothing else. And so their faith is strengthened. It doesn't come from this cultural norm. It comes from the Lord. Which means you are not just secure when others are treating you properly, but when they are not. In your relationships, are they struggling? Two pieces of application. Are there any relational situations today that are bringing heartache? In your most intimate relationships today, is there any piece of it that today is bringing you immense heartache? I want you to know that this church is here for you. That we get it. Marriage is sometimes very difficult. (laughs) Parenting is very difficult. Wishing you were married in that season is very difficult. Wishing you were a parent in that season is very difficult. Wherever you find yourself within the most intimate relationship that you have or that you desire, we are here for you. And are they bringing you heartache today? Second piece. Are you tempted to base your worth on a relational situation or status? Where are you tempted today to base your worth based on how your husband or wife talks to you, treats you, how your kids are acting? Heck, even today, like I said, it's super hard that you you wish you had children and that's just not your season yet. And you're tempted to base your worth on that? Or maybe you wish you were in a marriage and you're not and you're like, man, I've been so faithful, single all my life. Why is this not happening? Where are you tempted to base your worth on a relational situation or status? The thing that I will say to both of these things is simply this. God sees you and he knows you. He knows where your heartache is and he knows where your temptation is. And so as uh, the band comes back up and we sing just a couple more songs, as we always do here, because here's the reality, you and I are dependent creatures. 
We, we, we need dependency. Oh, gosh, I can't even overstate that. And because we are dependent creatures, we want to bring these things to the Lord, right? We want to bring our heartache. We want to bring our temptations. We want to bring our struggles. We want to bring our sins to the Lord. And so as we sing um, and as we come to the table, we're going to have a prayer team in the back, as always. That if you're like, yeah, I need prayer this morning. I need prayer because I'm looking to get my worth out of these relationships. Or maybe you need prayer this morning because those relationships, you're not trying to get your worth. You're just trying to get a breath of fresh air because there's so much heartache going on right now. If that's your situation, then we will have a prayer team in the back. Relationships do matter. But they matter not from what you can get from them, but what they produce inside of you. And I pray that your relationships are producing love, fortitude, grace, faith. I pray that your relationships are strengthening your faith. And if they're not, we're here for you. We're here for you as a church. And so let's stand together and we're gonna sing. And as we sing, if you need prayer, we have a team in the back that would love to pray for you. So let's stand together. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we are utterly and solely dependent on you. And because we depend on you, then we get to do things like prayer. (laughs) We get to, we don't have to. We get to come alongside one another and say, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm tempted. This is where I'm finding worth that I shouldn't be. And so this morning we come before you in honesty and confession of that. Lord, we come to you repenting when we are not kind to our children, to our spouse, to our friends. Through our words or through our actions, we do not show that we have a relationship with the Lord and that we have been made new. We actually show that we are trying to assert dominance that doesn't belong to us. So we repent of that today. Pray for anybody who, who, who needs prayer this morning for heartache, for relationship with you, for whatever it may be. That we would see that relationships matter and you are producing something in them. And the ultimate, ultimate reality of the best relationship we could have would be a relationship with you. So I pray for the person who does not have a relationship with you as a father, as a friend, as a savior. May today, may today the spirit push them to make that right. And may they accept you and honor you as their Lord. Thank you for these people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.